If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at my bookie. March Madness is still here for another week or so, so there's still time to get in on all the action today. Visit mybookie.ag and use that promo code UGA to receive an exclusive deposit bonus up to $1,000 for all new users. So make sure to get in on this action while you can and make some money with my bookie. But guys, I am your host, Tyler, and my man Curtis is back with me today to recap what we learned from week two of Georgia's spring football practice. You know, week one of spring practice was what it was. As we told you guys last week, it was the... NCAA mandated acclimation week, which means no pads, no pads until practice number three, which was last Saturday. So really outside of the information that we got from Kirby's initial press conference back on, was that March 14th to kick the spring off? There really wasn't anything all that substantial coming out of week one. I got a few nuggets here and there to share with you guys, but really not all that much. It was more speculation than anything else. Week two, however, a little bit of a different story. The pads were on all week, and you always learn more. You always learn more when the pads are on because, after all, this is a sport played in pads. So we've got a good deal more information to break down this week. We've got a few guys making moves in their position battles. We've got an injury or two to talk about. We've got a couple dudes just flat out showing out right now, and we will get to all of it. But Curtis, I want to start here because I think this is, to me at least, I could be wrong here, but this is just my take on it. I feel like this was the biggest news of the week, and that was that Austin Blasky spent the week working with the first team offense at left tackle. Now, of course, this is not completely out of left field because we did talk about Blasky last week as a guy that Kirby Smart directly identified as a player that's in the thick of the battle for one of the two open tackle positions. You know, we know Amarius Mims, we feel pretty strongly about him manning one of those spots, probably right tackle, but technically it's still a battle, and at least one of those positions with Roger Jones moving on 
is wide open, which looks like it's going to be left tackle right now. And we talked about Blasky being one of those options because Kirby mentioned directly. So this is not like completely out of left field, but I would still argue this is pretty surprising that week two of spring practice, he's already working with the first team at left tackle. Obviously, still a long way to go in this battle curse at left tackle, but how much stock are you putting into this development right now? Um, you know, I'm trying I'm honestly trying not to put too much into it. And the reason I say that is because I mean, we gotta think Ernest Green is coming back off of an injury. He hasn't exactly been the the most healthy player um and experience wise too and so i want to say that i think that that's i mean i don't not to take anything away from blasky because it seems like he is going in there and making an impact but you know it is a surprise in the fact that they even trust him enough to be that high but i'm not ready yet to really say that i think that you know this is a big of how things may work out yeah i think that's that's a good way to look at it curtis I will sit here and say it doesn't mean nothing, right? I mean, him working with the first-team offense at this stage means something. It, it, it's not completely irrelevant. It means something. But it also doesn't necessarily mean that he is going to be our starting left tackle when we kick off against UT Martin here in, in early September. And I wish it was only a couple of months, but it's more than a couple of months away. It doesn't necessarily mean that either. Ernest Green is still a highly talented guy. Again, I go back to fall camp curse. Ernest Green was turning heads. I don't know if he would have been in like a four-man rotation attack. We already had a three-man rotation, but I think he would have played some last year to some degree if it was not for the back injury. And back injuries are tough, man. So I don't know how to account for this. Is it that we're kind of slowly working him back in, you know, dealing with a back injury is something that can be chronic and you want to be very careful with that Kirby even said in that opening press conference that he's not quite in like playing shape yet. He's been working out with the team. He's been going through offseason workout conditioning stuff with the team, but he's not fully back from a conditioning standpoint, back to a hundred percent, which as you can imagine, you can't really do much. I don't know if, if any of you have ever suffered a back injury of any sort, even mild back injuries, it's almost debilitating. Like I've had mild back injuries and it's like, dude, I can't move. I can't sit down. It's terrible. So to have a, a back injury that is severe enough to require surgery. I mean, that's, that takes a while to get back to where you were. So I don't know how much of it is just kind of protecting him knowing it's spring practice. And we, we've got many months here before the season actually kicks off. Maybe that's part of it. And Curtis, like, could this have possibly been part of the plan going into spring practice? We're going to have Ernest Green work with the first team, you know, week one, and you have Austin Blasky work week two. Is that a possibility? It really is. And the reason I say that is, I mean, when you think about it, the fact is that you still have to cross train some players and develop some guys to be backups, even if, you know, that's not how we expect things to stay and, you know, really ultimately shake out. Um, because injuries do happen, as we've seen the last two years, you know, you think of, Mims and Broderick both getting big reps throughout the year when injuries happen. Um, so I think that is something that we have to, you always have to be prepared for. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I don't know. And the thing is, Chris, as I said, you know, at the outset of the show, how much did our coaches actually learn about these guys from week one of practice when we only had one of those first three practices that were in pads? Like, did Blasky really impress them enough in, in, in helmets and shells to say, okay, we're going to put him with the one offense in week two? I mean, maybe, right? Does that make sense? Like, it, is that really what happened? Yeah, and I don't think it is either. Kind of like what you're saying. I, it's hard. You, you don't have enough time. Yeah, and the guy, I don't know. I don't, I, I haven't heard anything hard on that from any sources around the program. That's just me speculating here, but it's just, it's hard to imagine that when you only have one practice in pads through the first week that 
he did enough to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to elevate you to work with the first team in week two. I think it's, there's certainly a possibility. It could have been maybe part of the plan coming to spring practice, but here's what it does tell me, Chris. It doesn't tell me that Blasky is going to win the job. It doesn't tell me that he's like head and shoulders above the guy. What it tells me though, is at the very least, this battle is close. And this is something that's going to really warrant monitoring through not just the rest of spring, but through through the summer workouts and all the way through fall camp. I think this is just going to be an absolute dogfight between Blasky and Green, really right up to the to the beginning of the season. I think because when you have one guy working with the ones one week, and then the next week you have the other guy working with the ones, that tells me this battle is extraordinarily close. And uh, this is not going this is going to play itself play itself out over the course of a couple of months, not a couple of weeks here during spring practice. All right, next up, Curtis, dude. This this next bit of news is is a total bummer, man. I really, I really do not relish having to talk about this. I hate it for the young man. I I don't think it's his fault. It's just one of those things. It just it happens to players sometimes. But Kendall Milton, I'm sure most of you have heard by now, is out for the rest of the spring with a hamstring injury. Uh, I I had heard from a few people on Thursday that he did not finish practice on Thursday. And that looked like it was like a soft tissue thing, probably a hamstring, but I didn't get anything more than that. And then I also heard yesterday that he wasn't out there at practice on Saturday. And, you know, those two bits of information together is kind of like, uh-oh, especially when you consider Kendall Milton's injury history. And then, boom, the news hits today that, oh, yeah, he is officially out for the remainder of spring. And I just hate it for the young man. I really, really do, Curtis. Like, I, I know, you know, sometimes when you talk about, players and, and dealing with injuries that they, they get that label as injury prone. And I, I really hate to throw that at players. Just, in my opinion, most of these injuries that happen, is just coincidental. Now, there are some things that you can do to kind of prevent injuries from happening. Sure. Absolutely. But I mean, Kendall just had a string of bad luck here when it comes to injuries. It just seems this kid has had, I mean, has he been healthy for an entire year, his entire career, Curtis? Has he, I don't believe he has. I don't, I don't think he has, but I'm going back his freshman year. He did some really good things. I know he missed some time. Um, sophomore year, same thing last year, same thing. It's just, it's been a tough run for Kendall. I mean, he's, when he's gotten out there and he's been healthy, like he's shown what he can do like from day one, when he's been healthy, the problem is he hasn't been healthy consistently enough for us to see what he can do, uh, to the degree that he can actually be the the number one guy, be a reliable number one option for us at the tailback position. So Kurt, let me just ask you, man, how much does this hurt Kendall and his development? You know, I don't know if it hurts all that much. If this was a freshman or sophomore, I'd probably say it hurts more. Um, but I think that's why I consider and say, I don't think it's into, you know, the biggest of deals for him as really unfortunate more than anything. So it says, you know, a chance for him to establish himself, but I don't think it's going to kill him. Um, and, you know, he has had, you know, bad luck with injuries, but the one thing I'll say is I'm just at least glad that it is just a soft tissue issue when you're seeing so many, especially in the skill positions with a lot of these non-contact injuries, ACLs, all these things, you know, I'm just glad he's avoided those that to the degree. I don't want to speak too early because, you know, could jinx him, but the fact is, um, it's really unfortunate, but I don't, you know, it's one of these, it's not, it can be lingering and be annoying, but at least it's in spring practice, not during the year. Yes. I think there is a silver lining here that it is not, you know, a George Pickett situation where we get word like the first week of spring practice. Oh yeah. George is out for the year with a torn ACO. And like, we're all devastated. We're like, Oh my God, how is this team going to recover from that? And oh yeah, we'll, we'll we recovered fine enough. Cause we went and won a national championship first one in 41 years. So it's not that kind of devastation, but it's still, to me, it's devastating for Kendall because this, like, you know, he knows 
his reputation, Curtis. You know that he knows that, right? Oh, yeah, How I mean, you heard he's, is he's actually been in the best shape of his career so far, coming in with his weight down. Not that weight's ever been a problem, but the fact is he has come in, he's cut some weight, I think, and he was looking really um, agile is from what, what I've yeah. heard. And he had a fantastic into the season was a, was an impact player for us down the stretch when he came back healthy. We let Mississippi State. I know he was only, it was only garbage time. He broke off that long touchdown run, and he just con- continued to do that. He didn't get a ton of opportunities the, the down the stretch, but when he got opportunities, curse he made the most of them touchdowns in some of the biggest games of the season. So you would like to have thought he could carry that momentum into spring practice. The opportunity is there with Kenny McIntosh moving on for him to be the number one guy to finally be our featured back. And then this happens. So, you know, it has to be frustrating for Kendall. I mean, as frustrating it is for us. I mean, it's imagine how frustrating it is for Kendall Curtis. I mean, this, this guy works hard. He's a great dude, a great teammate, a leader on this team, and he deserves better than this. And I hate that this continues to happen to him, but the reality is it's something that's been an issue for four years now. I mean, going into his fourth year, it seems every single year. And I just, I hope that he can get past this. You're right, Curtis. I'm I hope I'm not making too much out of a small thing. It is not a season ending thing. It's just a, it's a spring ending injury with, with the hamstring, but Curtis, let's go back to last year. He dealt with this last year talk about lingering issues. Hamstrings are things like it, it's not necessarily a death blow, but they absolutely linger and stick around. This dates back to last year, Curtis. So to me, this is not a new injury. This is an aggravation of an old injury. And that's yeah. concerning because no, you know, really he, he's been healthy that. for a couple of months and now it, it, it starts acting up again. Like what's to say that's not going to happen if he gets back healthy through fall campus, what's to say it's not going to act up again in September. No, I think that is very fair. Um, that if it, if it is ends up being a re-aggravation, then it is more, uh, more worrisome. Yeah, it does. I don't know, man. I just, I'm rooting for the kid. I'm pulling hard for him. I, I, I'm sending positive vibes his way. Kendall, if you hear this, man, I know you're not listening, but if you are, if this working it back to you, positive vibes and sending them your way, my friend. But Chris, I will say like, I do think this hurts Kendall to a degree. You're right in saying that he's not a freshman. So it's not like he needs the reps to learn the system. That's all very true. I, I totally agree with you there, but here's where I do think it hurts him at least to some degree. He was working with Branson Robinson, they were both taking turns repping with the ones through the first two weeks of spring practice. Okay. Branson Robinson's getting legit reps. Even with Kendall, there was getting legit reps with the ones. So now with Kendall out for the rest of the spring for more than half the spring, this is going to give Branson Robinson more of an opportunity to establish himself as the feature guy and seize that job. And maybe by the time Kendall comes back and gets healthy, well, you know, Branson's already taken that job. And I'm not saying Kendall wants to get carries. It wants to be a factor in the season, but he might not, there might not be a starting tailback job for him to grab once he gets back, depending on what Branson Robinson's able to do with this opportunity. Does that make sense? I mean, am I making too much out of this? No, that does make sense. And the reason I really think it makes sense is because, you know, they said the one thing that Milton was working on this, um, this spring, at least that was something that, you know, he was trying to improve on is his hands catching the ball in the backfield. And I think that's where it is going to hurt him the most. Yeah. And that's something he needed to add to his game. And you're right. I'd heard very positive returns coming out of the first part of the spring that he's has made strides there. And that's a void that we needed to fill with the loss of Kenny McIntosh. And it sounds like Kendall had been taking strides and potentially becoming that guy. But I do think this hurts a little bit because it does open up opportunity more for Branson Robinson. Curtis, I think it's very similar to what happened with, with Dajan Edwards last year. Like Dajan was a clear number three guy coming into the season last year behind Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton. Well, Kendall went down 
And when he was number two guy, when he went down, when Kendall came back, Curtis, was he the number two guy anymore? No, he wasn't. He was not. In fact, for part of the season, he was kind of behind Branson Robinson. Now, by the end of the year, he got that job back and he was the number three back. But it was it was Kenny McIntosh and Dejan Edwards. We've seen this happen before where he's gotten Billy Bob, for lack of a better term, you know, like where he's just uh, or Wally Pitt, where, you know, he had a, he had a job. He put himself in position, earn this role. Then you get injured. Somebody else steps up, takes advantage of the opportunity. And now when you get back. They've got your job. So we've seen this happen to Kendall before. So that's why I, I don't think it's outlandish to suggest that this could be something that could be harmful to Kendall's, his career. I, I mean, not like, like he, he's not going to play, but harmful to him in, in grasping that elusive starting tailback position, which he has been trying to grab his entire career. And it looked like this might be the time for him to do that. And now this, this kind of puts that into doubt. We'll see. I, again, I'm still very much rooting for this guy and wishing the absolute best, but. I mean, th- those questions have to be asked. So I do think it hurts him to a degree, Curtis. Let me ask you this before we move on. How much does it hurt the team for Kendall Milton to go down with this with a spring-ending injury? Um, You know, I don't know how much it hurts the team because it does allow – I think Branson, one of the biggest things holding him back has just been getting the reps. Yeah, and I think 100%. this opens it up more so for him to really go in there and take advantage. It certainly doesn't help from a depth standpoint. You know what I mean? I mean yeah. We know what we have in Dejan Edwards. Is Dejan Edwards a feature back? Not in my opinion. I know other people may have different. I, I think he can be a serviceable feature back. Is he gonna is he a dynamic feature back? No, probably not. Like he, I don't think he's gonna have to have a long NFL career, but Dejan is still a very valuable player for us that that has a role in this team. I mean, he was our best short yardage back last year, Curse. I mean, there's a reason why we start bringing this guy in the goal line, his ability to get skinny through the holes, his vision. I mean, he brings some value to this team, but I mean, you'd be lying to yourself if you sat there and said, okay, well, he's just as or more talented than Branson Robinson and Kendall Milton and even Roger Robinson. Like, I think you'd be lying to yourself if you said that, but he's still a good player. I just don't, I'm with you. I don't see him as a, a true like frontline feature back. He's more of a role guy, a valuable role guy, but a role guy. So now he and Branson Robinson are the one two or the one two punch right now. The, the wild card in this, Curtis, is Roger Robinson. From California does does right. Robinson have a chance to benefit from this injury to Kendall he may and the fact that it may get him more reps to help him lose some weight because I think that's the biggest thing he's got to do to really get himself in a position to play yeah I gotta tell you Curtis um I saw Robinson downtown a couple of weeks ago uh, actually at the blind pig and um yeah that that dude needs I mean look he's been effective at the high school level he's extraordinarily effective won a state championship he probably needs to drop a little bit of weight. Let's just put it like that. All right. I mean, he's a big dude. Like if you didn't know he was a running back, like I knew he was running back. I know, I know what he plays. I've followed this guy for a while, but if I didn't know who he was and somebody pointed out and said, that's a running back, I'd be like, shut up. You're lying. Like there's no way that's a running back, but yeah, he is. So maybe that, maybe, maybe that does help him a little bit there, but I think Roger Robinson's kind of in the situation that Branson Robinson was in this time last year, right? Where, you know, he was like, a young back who's really highly talented is going to have a long career moving forward, but you know, is behind some veterans in the spring. That's kind of where Roger Robinson is now. But I mean, right now with Andrew Paul being out, Curtis, Roger Robinson's the number three back. He's going to get a lot of reps. Like he's going to play a lot more than he otherwise would have. So maybe that helps him to a degree, but 
I, I'm with you. I don't think it hurts the team too much because I, I do believe in Branson Robinson. I think Branson Robinson is a feature back. I truly believe that. I think he is going to be a monster for us. I love Dejan Edwards. He's, he's the perfect complimentary back. I love having him. As long as those two can stay healthy and then you have Roger Robinson there, kind of an insurance policy, I think we're okay. But this is the SEC, Curtis. We have running backs that get banged up every single year. You need as many, not just bodies, you need as many quality players in that room as you can possibly have that are actually available to you. And that's where I think it, it does start to hurt potentially. Now, we're not in the season yet, so it's okay. Like, uh, Kim will be fine. Like He'll come back from this injury. I'm sure he'll be fine for fall camp. But it's just one of those things you just don't want it to linger. So I don't I, I don't want to make too much of it and say, like, this is just devastating to the team. It's not. Like you said, Curtis, it's not a season-ending thing. He'll be back. I just it, – it's just one more thing to concern me about Kendall's ability to stay healthy. and Because if he can't stay healthy during the season – that does concern me. We only have three guys with Andrew Paul being a wild card. We don't know when he's going to be cleared. If he is cleared, like how healthy is he going to be? That's what concerns me more. But right now, like it's 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 nothing to like freak out about. It's just certainly something to monitor very closely moving forward. Okay, guys, we've got plenty more meat left on this bone today. But before we go any further, let me again remind you about our friends at my bookie. Not only has March Madness officially begun. We are at the end of March Madness. The final four is this weekend, so there's still time left, guys. Not much time, but there's still time left for you to shoot your shot and score big on the final four action with my bookie. And guys, look, I know that we talk about my bookie all the time here on this podcast. They've been very good to us, but the reason that that we partner with my bookie and not some of the other betting sites out there is because I've tried them all, and my bookie for my money, is clearly the best. And I'm not one of those guys that's just going to tell you, hey, you know, my bookie's cool, yada, yada, yada. You should do business with him without actually putting my money where my mouth is. Guys, I actually use my bookie. Like I, this is a service that I've used for a while. Now, I've worked with these guys for a while. In fact, before the tournament started, for those of you that joined our Glory UGA March Madness pool, you can see right now, you can go and see and look who I picked to win this tournament with my bracket. I picked Connecticut. And I put my money where my mouth is with my bookie before the tournament started and got Connecticut to win the national title at plus 1,600. Here they are in the Final Four. Are they going to win? I don't know, man. This is the most unpredictable Final Four, the most unpredictable NCAA tournament that I think I've ever seen. So I don't know. I think they're the best team, but like that doesn't mean they're going to win, as we've seen all tournament long. So I'm in on the action, and it's time for you guys to get in on the action too. It's so simple, guys. Just go to mybookie.ag, make your first deposit, and when you sign up, use the promo code UGA, and you'll claim our exclusive 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000 for all brand new users. Again, that's promo code UGA at mybookie.ag to claim a little extra cash on top of that initial deposit. So make sure today, guys, turn your game day into payday with mybookie. Iker, let's move on a little bit here and let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Got a new name this week that kind of emerged through week two of spring practice. And that is Julian or Julio Humphrey goes by both names. And I had to admit, Curtis, uh, at cornerback, Humphrey was not a guy that I was really factoring in to the competition to replace Keely Ringo. Apparently, that was wrong of me, erroneously. I was not factoring him in enough. I was guilty of kind of penciling in Dalen Everett as the heir apparent to Keely Ringo. And if anyone was going to challenge him, I thought it would be Nyland Green because you know Everett and Green were the primary contenders to replace Darion Kendrick last year, and that cornerback battle was ultimately won by Kamari Lassiter. So I figured, okay, well, those two were in that. They were deep in that battle last year, so it just makes sense. They're going to be the ones to, to fight it out to replace Keely Ringo. And I didn't give much thought 
to Julian Humphrey. I knew he was on the team. I knew he was a highly rated guy, but I didn't pay a ton of attention to him. But I was told directly this week that Julio Humphrey has been turning heads this week. So, Chris, I'm just going to ask you, man, how serious of a threat is Humphrey to actually jump up and win that job? You know, to be honest, I, I can never count out any of these guys that we actually have. And the reason I say that is just because, I mean, it sounds crazy to say, but the fact is as long as Kirby Smart and Muschamp and people like that are recruiting our DBs, I can't count out a single one because they know what they're looking for. And, you know, they've been recruiting these guys with athleticism that's off the charts, ball skills, all these attributes that you look for in great cornerbacks. And right now I just, it, none, none of it shocks me. I mean, every time we, we are recruiting these guys, we really want them because, I mean, let's be honest, everyone wants them. They're great athletes. They're great players. Um, Honestly, Curtis, you're right. When we land some of these guys, I'm like, oh, dude, that's awesome. But who are you going to play over? Like, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? It's like, so, like I mean, to how many of these guys are we going to get? Yeah, and, and, and so it doesn't shock me when these guys come out. I mean, last year, um, I think most people had Nylon Green, to be honest, as the guy who was going to – replace Darion Kendrick I yeah. mean and then Kamari Laster comes in there he actually he was much up, more highly rated than Kamari Laster was and, and Kamari Laster ends up being our best cover corner last year um, no doubt I totally agree and so I mean and that's why I say it like I cannot none of it at this point shocks me as long as you know Muschamp and Kirby and people like that are recruiting these guys like I think it just none of it shocks me I to like that they can come in and be these be better than the or beat other guys out I think that's a good way to look at it, Curtis. You're right. I mean, Julio Humphrey wasn't a five-star guy, but he was a top 100 recruit. And being a top 100 recruit, guys, whether you're a five-star or not, like you you are an elite player. You are a very, very good high school football player, and you have a chance to come in no matter what school you go to and win a job. And so that's why I, I – I, um, I'm an idiot, Curtis. Like, why was I not, like, at least giving him a chance to win this job? This is a top 100 guy. You're exactly right. This should not surprise me. But this is a name that I just, you know, I didn't hear a ton about him last year as a freshman. But, again, like, when you got Keely Ringo, you got Kamari Lasher playing the way that he played last year. You got Javon Buller playing the way he did at the star position. You got Dan Never coming off the bench doing some good things when he got opportunities. You know, I, how was I going to hear a lot about him? I didn't. This was a big spring for, for Humphrey, for him like, with this – with this job vacant with Keely Ringo moving on to the NFL, this was a time for him to make his move. Now, like if he did, that doesn't win this job, then you can say, well, next year, Kamari Lasher's probably going to move on. He can be in the battle for that job. Yeah, potentially, but this is a year. This is a year for an opportunity for Humphrey to really, really jump in and, and earn a starting spot. And I, I absolutely should have put more stock in his opportunity to go out there and compete. I should have. Um, I'm embarrassed by that. I, I just completely overlooked him, and that that's on me. But um, I mean, it's I great to hear, really, man. Like really competition deep. breeds. What were you saying? I mean, you. I mean, we're both kind of overlooked him. I mean, the, though to be honest, it was Dalen Everett or Nyland Green. No one even mentioned his name. Yeah, Dalen I mean, Everett I think, was the guy. Like if, if, if somebody came off the bench, it was Everett last him. year. Most people had overlooked him and gone straight to AJ Harris. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I'll be honest with so we, we we talked about this, I guess, maybe in the in the preview of spring practice, we were talking about the cornerback battle, Keely Ringo moving on. And like, I didn't bring up AJ Harris because he's a true freshman. Like if you guys don't know who he was, number one cornerback in the country, five-star dude, one of the highest rated players in our class. I was going to bring him up, but it's like, oh, he's a true freshman. You know, he's here for this as an early enrollee spring, first spring, you know, like you can't expect that much, but I was at least thinking about him. I wasn't even really considering Julio Humphrey and I'm dumb for that. I'll have to own that one. Have to own that one. So hopefully he can make me an idiot, even more of an idiot than I already am, and, uh, and go out and win this job. Look, I just want the best guy to win. You know what I mean? Whether it's Everett, 
whether it's whether it's see that's where I'm at, and and that's why I don't think I get too shocked. Is because like I think that whoever does win it or wins the job was trusted enough by the coaches. So I'm like, okay, if they trust them, I mean, you know, now that we're past the DeAndre Baker and Juwan Briscoe times, where you're then questioning their judgment, Juwan Briscoe, Chris. I haven't questioned oh as much God. lately. Remember that? That's Kirby's first year, and we ran that dude out there. Mm. Yep. Like we and like it's weird because we we as you mentioned we kind of trust Kirby implicitly when it comes to the defensive backfield, but then there's like oh yeah that first year he tried out Jawan Briscoe as a starting cornerback and that was an absolute failure. To his credit, he um he corrected that failure rather quickly, but that didn't work out. But you're right, Curtis. Go back to what you're saying with the recruiting. I I don't ever really worry about cornerback right now or anywhere in the defensive backfield because. Not only do we recruit well in the defensive backfield, Chris, I would argue that we have recruited better in the defensive backfield than any team in the country over the past three to four years. I mean, you look at who we've signed, Curtis. I mean, look at those dudes. Look at those guys. Now, you can say Nylon Green, Malachi Starr, Chanel Aguero, A.J. Harris, uh, Dalen Everett, Julio Humphrey, Jaheim Singletary was a five-star before he transferred out. I mean, who is recruiting the defensive backfield better than the Georgia Bulldogs right now, Kurt? It really is hard to find someone. I don't think anyone is. I'm not saying there aren't teams like that recruit well and have good players in their in their secondaries. Yeah, there are, but not like us, man. Like we are killing it with our recruiting in the secondary right now. So I, I'm very confident with the coaching they have there, as you mentioned, with, with Kirby and Muschamp both be, both being DB guys. I'm very confident with that and the talent that these guys have that they brought in the program. That whoever ends up emerging as the starter of that position, it is it, going to leave us in very, very good hands. So I'm very confident there. I was just uh, somewhat surprised to hear Julian Humphrey mention this weekend, but like you said, Kurt, in retrospect, I probably shouldn't be all that surprised. I right, got another name here for you. This is not a new name. We've discussed him. I think a little bit last week. I talked about him when, we did it, when I did the Spring Sleepers episode, but I just continue to hear people raving about. Early enrollee tied in, loss and lucky. Bottom line, Curtis, what I keep being told is that this dude just continues to ball out at practice. So what do you project his role to be this season? Curtis, I know it's super early. Man. We're talking about two weeks into spring practice. Like we're not even into like April yet. I understand that. We haven't had GD, haven't laid eyes on this guy at the college level. But there's a lot of buzz out there, man. Like it might not be like we might not be hearing Brock Bowers level freshman buzz because that's probably the buzziest player I've ever heard as a Georgia Bulldog, like an early enrollee freshman. But it's not that far off, man. Like it's really not that far off what we were hearing about Brock a couple of years ago when he was an early enrollee in spring practice. So at this point, what do you project Lucky's role is going to be on this team? Um, <clears throat> It's hard to really project his role when I say that because you have Bowers and Delp, but the fact is I think he's going to get some playing time. And I think, you know, with Bobo back, I'm not saying they're bringing the fullback back, but I think we may go more H back. And I, I think that. I can see him getting a lot of reps with the H back role. Does his emergence, at least through two weeks of spring practice, if you want to call that an emergence, but this also echoes what I've heard about him really since he got on campus. I've been told like during winter workouts, this dude was just like opening eyes then. And it's just continued now. The pads have come on. So to me, this is not just like a, a one or two day thing. Like, no, this is something I've been hearing for a couple of months now since this guy's been on campus. Do you think this means like, you know, last year, Curtis, we 
we went heavy with 12 personnel about 50% of the time, but very rarely were we using 13 personnel with three tight ends, which we thought we would see more of. We saw that some more in 2021. We had Fitzpatrick, but we thought like, you know, with Eric Gilbert or Eric Gilbert, who was, you know, what is in Nebraska now, I want to say. Uh, yeah, with him yeah, and Delp yeah. coming in as a, as a highly rated true freshman, that we might see 13 personnel used more than we did last year. But Kerr, we really didn't see that much at all outside of goal line situations. With the emergence of Lucky, is there a chance we we see a return to more 13 personnel? I think you may. I really do think you think we may. Um, but the problem I mean, becomes that means you, like if you go 13 personnel, Curtis, you're taking receivers off the field. And well, and especially red zone and some of these other things that they're just or they're just matchup nightmares. And the fact is, Lawson Lucky, he's very similar in Brock Bowers and the fact that he played almost every position uh, for Norcross. And I think that that's what's going to end. And I when it would appear Sperlin being out with the, with a shoulder injury for a couple of months. That, more opportunity. Well, that not only like I think one of the biggest difference in why we didn't do it last year as much as locking, I think, in my opinion, was actually probably Oscar Delp's biggest weakness. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Delp needed. I mean, in in Brock in his interview this week was talking about how Oscar's put on some good weight, and he mentioned that because Oscar needed to put on some weight. He was not small, but he was thin. He was a tall guy, but uh, relatively lanky and thin to be able to hold up. You know, blocking there against big dudes, SEC caliber guys in the trenches. So I think that's a, an area he needed to improve. And that's where I think Lucky Curtis, Lucky, at least come out of high school. I know that Delp has a year on him in terms of, of working with the team and, and sharpening his skill set. Come out of high school, Lawson Lucky is a better blocker than Oscar Delp. Am I crazy? No, and I think that's going to be why I wouldn't be shocked if we did go more 13 personnel. It just comes down like, do we think that Lawson Lucky is better than some of these other receivers? Like, is he better than is – is he – does Lucky on the field, that extra tight end on the field – does that give our offense more punch than having a guy like Arian Smith on the field or a guy like Dominic Lovett on the field or Lad McConkey? That's the question that we have to answer. And uh, I don't know what that's going to be. Like, we'll have to see how this plays out. So I, I don't know if it'll be more 13. Per- I would say it probably will mean more 13 personnel. I don't think we'll see a ton of it because we have some receivers that can absolutely ball out out there because Dominic Lovett is a guy that continues. We talked about it last week, so I don't want to spend too much time on today, but Dominic Love is a guy that just continues to impress and just make play after play after play during the first two weeks of spring practice. So it's going to be hard to keep some of those guys off the field. But Curtis, like, is it a foregone conclusion that Oscar Delp is going to be tied in number two behind Brock Bowers? You know, it's really not. I mean, you know, he has. I love Delp. I love him. But I think we have to ask the question with what we're hearing about Lucky. Is it a foregone conclusion that Delp's going to be that number two guy, which we all kind of assumed he would be? No, because you think back to when Brock Bowers came in. I mean, it's supposed to be Fitzpatrick and Washington. Yep. Yeah, and now Bowers did benefit from an injury to Washington, but you know, I don't even if Washington hadn't gotten hurt, like Brock's talent was too much to keep off the field. You know what I mean? Yeah, like Brock was gonna play. Like that (laughs) dude's like probably the best player in the country coming back this year. I know some people argue Caleb Williams, but in terms of what he does at his position, I don't know if there's a better player at his position than Brock Bowers. Kind of the same way I felt about Roquan Smith. I know he didn't win the Heisman Trophy. It was Baker Mayfield back in 2017, but I don't think there's anybody in the country that was as good at their position as Roquan Smith was at his. It's kind of how I feel about Brock Bowers going into this season. So I'm just glad he's on our team. We're lucky to have him. But yeah, Curtis, I I love Delp. And I'm not saying that Lucky's going to beat him out and be like the, the number two tight end to, to Brock Bowers this year. But I'm also not going to count him out. I think he has a realistic shot if he continues to progress this way. Because as we were saying, I do think he's a more proficient blocker coming to high school. I know he doesn't have the year in the system that Delp does, but he's more of a natural blocker. And I thought like, he didn't get a ton of opportunities to, to catch passes, or at least not as many as a guy like Pierce Sperlin did when he was at Norcross. 
But when he got opportunities, I watched this guy play quite a bit. You know, Curtis, you and I are both from Gwinnett County. We've, we've seen this guy play. And uh, when he got opportunities, uh, he made the most of them. He can make plays in space. He's got a nice catch radius. He's got really good hands, ball skills, all those things, man. Like, I don't want to call him a poor man's Brock Bowers because, like, putting that on anybody is is that's tough, man. That's a lot of pressure. But he does check a lot of the same boxes that Brock Bowers checked coming out of coming out of high school, man. I mean, like, remember, I was screaming from the rooftops about Brock Bowers, but he wasn't like a guy that people were were talking about all across the country coming out of high school. He wasn't a five star dude. I just watched his tape. I was like, this dude's a freaking monster. Like, this guy's gonna be a killer for us. People didn't actually watch the tapes and say, oh, he's you know he's a he's a high four star guy, but he's not a five star prospect. He wasn't getting that hype. And that's kind of the same thing with Lucky. Lucky is a high four star, but wasn't a five star guy. Wasn't getting that kind of hype. But this dude knows how to play football. He's a tough, physical guy. Can make plays and. I think he has a very realistic shot to be the number two tight end. And Dub's awesome too, man. Like I, again, I'm not saying that he's going to beat out Dub. I need to see Lawson Lucky on the field at the college level before I can say that. And I really liked what we saw from Oscar Dub towards the end of last season, as he got a little bit more experience. You know, when Darnell went down in the in the, in the Peach Bowl, Oscar was a huge player for us, stepping into that role. So Delp's great. He's going to be fantastic. I think I just think it's going to be one hell of a battle between Delp and Lucky. And I, I don't think we should just sit here and assume that it's going to be Delp as the number two tight end. Lucky's just going to be lucky to get whatever scraps he gets. I don't think that's necessarily the case. It might work out that way, but I don't necessarily think that's the case. Okay, guys, we're going to take one more quick break here to remind you about our friends at Alumni Hall. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but spring is officially in the air. I have not been able to breathe for about the last month with all the pollen floating around. That's been super great. But what is really great is all the new spring gear that's hitting the shelves seemingly daily at Alumni Hall right now, guys. They've got new Nike polos, Nike golf polos. They've got some new Johnny O stuff, some new Peter Millar. A ton of great options for you guys. So now that the weather's warming up, it's time to build back up that spring collection. So get to alumnihall.com or heck, in-store inside the Epps British Shopping Center if you happen to be here in the Athens area and get yourself hooked up today because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, Kurt, one more name here I want to throw at you, man. Uh, let's go to the defense side of the ball one more time here. Darius Smith, Curtis. Now, we talked about how the Jack was the thinnest position of the spring, especially in terms of experience. But Darius Smith spent the majority of week two of spring practice getting first-team reps at Jack. Not Chaz Chambliss, Darius Smith. Not the three top 100 recruits that we have. Not Damon Wilson, the highest-rated guy in our 2023 recruiting class that plays the same position. It was Darius Smith, sophomore Darius Smith, getting the majority of the reps with the first-team defense in week two. What does that tell you, Curtis? Does that tell us anything? Should we read too much into that? No, it. Does. I mean, to me, it kind of sounds about right because – the, I think the, one of the biggest things with Darius Smith is he was, you know, a, you don't want to say it around about the guy at the moment just because of this, what happened. But he reminded me of the Adam Anderson route and the fact that he had to put on weight. And, and tall, um, lanky, athletic, but just thin. They yeah, they exactly. like the bridges. I think that once he starts to put on weight, it, it's going to be hard to hold him off. And I think that's what's starting to happen. I mean, you hope that that's where we're getting there. That's what's starting to develop is that. Well, he's he's keeping this weight on. I mean, Curtis, the raw athleticism in this guy is off the freaking charts, man. And like it's raw. Don't get me wrong. It is very raw. And that is something that takes time to mold him into the player that we ultimately need him to be. But I mean, this dude is, you know, he's six five. He's listed at two twenty five. I think that's a little light, Curtis, to play 
in the SEC at the edge at the at that edge jack position, 6'5, 225. I mean, is that doesn't that strike you as a little light? It does, yeah. But the question becomes how accurate are those measurements? Like how recent are those during the combine every year? They're not always the most accurate. Yeah. I mean, we just like was six five to twenty five is what he's listed on the official Georgia football roster. But when were those measurements taken? Was that taken in the last season? Was that taken when he first got into Georgia? They haven't updated him since then. I, I I don't know. I don't know. I I know they they do those measurements in workouts all the time, but how often are those actually translated to the official Georgia football website? I would argue probably not that much. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Usually you see them updated like right before the season kicks off, like when we enter fall camp. So I don't know if he's still only 225. I don't know. But if he is, that's surprising to me that he's getting reps with the first team at 6'5", 225. Because 6'5 is great. Great length. Awesome. Great athleticism. But it's going to be very difficult for him to hold up consistently against the run at 225 in the SEC. I'm just putting that out there, man. It's going to be difficult. It's just like we, you mentioned Adam Anderson, Curtis. It's the perfect comp there. I mean, he's taller than, than Anderson, but – I mean, we know Anderson had the issues holding up against the run because he was light in the britches. And that's how I felt about Darius Smith. So maybe if he's put up to put up, put on weight to the point where he's 240, 245, awesome. And he probably he's probably just balling out if he's doing that because the athleticism is real. It's there. And I will say I, I, this is a guy that I, we did talk about, you know, in, in our preview episode for the spring. But we said basically what we're saying now. He's just really raw. And you guys see, can he add the weight on? But it sounds like he's taking advantage of the opportunities. Obviously, you know, with Marvin Jones Jr., a five-star prospect, who we also have very high hopes for, being out with the spring, the shoulder surgery. Same thing with Jalen Walker, who looks like he could potentially make the move over to, to the jack position after being recruited as an inside linebacker. He's taking advantage of those opportunities at a very thin position. And, and you, we do have these three really talented top 100 guys on campus as early enrollees, but he has that, that added advantage of being around for a year and his head's not spinning right now. He knows the system at least better than they do. And he's had a year of the coaching and, and understanding what the coaches want from a technical standpoint, all those kind of things. I think what's maybe more surprising to me, Kurt, especially with how we ended the season is that Chaz Chambliss was not working with the first team defense, at least from what I was told. And well, and that can certainly that's subject to change here over the next couple of weeks and probably will change. But Curtis, like, what do you read into that, that Darius is working out over Chaz right now with the first-team defense? Um, Sounds about right. <laughs> In what way? I mean, the fact, I mean, if Chaz is our best and number one guy at that position, we are in trouble. Hey, we won a national championship with him being that guy for about half the year. Now, Robert Beal was also there. At least exactly. Right I mean, that's the thing, though. It's just if he is the leader of the pack, then – maybe we're deep in the fact of that some of these other guys are good, but they just need the reps. But I don't think we are going to create the havoc that we need to with him being our primary pass rusher. You don't think Chaz has another level he can take his game to? Um, I, This guy did steadily improve as the season progressed. Not speed-wise, though. There, he He's still a little slow off the ball, and I think that's going to be the biggest – and that's going to be one of the – things about him is he doesn't bring speed off the edge well i mean yeah he's he's fast off the edge he's just not as athletic and fast off the edge as these other guys right i mean that's that's what it comes down to yeah. you know and and Chaz is an, another guy like Dejan Edwards like he's gonna have a role in the team but you're right like just like we said with Dejan Edwards at running back like Dejan's our number one option he's our feature back mm, I don't know how I feel about that right same thing with Chaz like Chaz has a role Chaz is a good player Chaz plays hard he's gonna he's gonna help this team win he brings value to this team especially from a leadership standpoint but if he is our top option from day one at, a, at the Jack position and he's a guy we got to roll with, I don't know, man. 
that 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 does concern me to a degree. So I love having a guy like that on the team, but it'd be really nice for one of these more talented, more physically gifted underclassmen uh, who have who don't have a ton of experience, but it'd be really nice if one of them could really just elevate their game and earn that role, right? I mean, because that's what could take this defense to the next level is finding a, a legit pass rusher off the edge. I don't know, that's that's kind of what we've been, I mean, Chris, how many years have we been looking for that? I mean, Nolan Smith did some good things for us. I guess the Z's Ojolari back in 2020 was the closest we've had to that. Probably true, yeah. And we had him, for, you know, and, and Z's was really good for us. But we just have lacked that dominant, like, Will Anderson-esque pass rusher off the edge. I know our system's a little bit different, but it'd be really, really nice for one of these young guys to to emerge as a dude that can play like that, can be that kind of guy. Because as good as our defense has been under Kirby Smart, especially the past three to four seasons, I mean, it's hard to think it could get better, but it could. Imagine what it could be like if we actually had a legitimate, like dominant edge rusher at that jack position. I think it would be an absolute nightmare if it's not already for opposing offenses. So maybe Darius Smith can be that guy. Maybe he's starting to take strides to become that guy, and uh, we'll certainly have to be watching that as spring practice continues to progress. But all right, guys, that's all we've got for you here today. I think that's all the the nuggets, all the info that we've got come out of week two of spring practice. We will have even more info for you guys next week because next weekend, next Saturday, will be the very first scrimmage of the spring. So there's usually a lot of information coming out of that. I'll see what I can dig up for you guys. And we will recap all of that this time next week. So make sure to come on back. But before we get to what we learned from week three, we will be back one more time this week, at least one more time. I'll see if I can work in a Friday five for you guys as well, if I can find enough that that catches my attention. But at the very least, we're going to have a mailbag episode that we wanted to do last. But if you guys remember, Charlie, like myself, has been a victim of the pollen attack of 2023. And basically her voice just I guess her throat closed up and she lost her voice. So that wasn't really an option last week. And I wanted to have her on because it's been a minute and we need Charlie to make her grand return to the glory UGA podcast. So hopefully she will be able to, uh, to be on with me later this week. But if not, you will definitely have a mailbag episode. We've got a ton of great questions from you guys, but if there's any more questions, anything that we talked about today that you're curious about, anything that we didn't cover that you maybe have heard about, send it our way. You can hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA, or you can email us gloryugapodcast at gmail.com, and we will get to as many of those questions as we possibly can. Always appreciate you guys, each and every one of you. Thank you for being here. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.